You're listening to FemLonk, a podcast about inclusion, policy, politics, and current affairs. I'm your host, Katie Davey. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you a little bit of an update and tell you a bit more about what you're going to hear today. Uh, so first of all, it's been a few weeks since we've released an episode. Sorry about that, but I think as everyone can appreciate right now, sometimes life happens and during this um I guess time of COVID, it's been a little bit harder to actually balance everything while also working in a location where there are three of us, so it makes recording a podcast a bit more difficult. I uh, kind of hilariously am recording this intro shut away in the bedroom, squatting with the mic on the dresser so that I actually am at a good height. So there's your visual for the day. (laughs) It also means this will not be a very long intro. Today we actually are releasing a live episode. I had a great conversation the other night with Amanda from Politics Now. She invited me to chat with some of the folks in her network up in Northern Ontario, and we just honestly really got into the weeds about Femwonk, about my kind of life over the last few years, what I'm doing now, what I've been doing, and everything in between. It's probably one of the most vulnerable um, episodes I will have put out, so please be kind, um, but also let me know what you think and let me know if you've experienced any of the same kind of struggles that we talk about. We talked a lot about imposter syndrome, we talked about deciding to or not to apply for things, Um, and we also talked a little bit about, you know, how millennials are experiencing the workforce and why 10-year plans, for example, are not necessarily the the best way forward for us in our careers. So, I hope you enjoy it. I will be back, hopefully, I would say next week or the week after with some actually COVID-19 specific coverage. I've been, you know, really thinking about a lot of the policies that have been coming out and reflecting on them over the last number of weeks, and I guess it's, it's starting to get to months. So I do want to give you some thoughts on that, but in the meantime, I hope you love this conversation. Do follow Politics Now on social. They provide a lot of really great and inspiring content. And yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. Without further ado, I'll give her like a better introduction. (laughs) So feeling like the conversation around inclusion and diverse decision making was lacking on the East Coast of Canada, Katie Davey created Thumbwonk, a policy and current affairs podcast that seeks to discuss both innovative and traditional public policy through a gender and inclusion lens. Through FemWonk, she also speaks, consults, and hosts a book club. Once called the Feminist Money Girl, Katie advocates for the integration of economic and social policy. She also has like 50 jobs and like <laughs> sits on boards and uh, recently uh, became uh, the part of the 2019-2020 uh, Action Canada Fellow Court, which makes me mad jealous and like I wouldn't be surprised if that's all we talk about tonight because <laughs> I'm just like blown away by how cool that is. Uh, so she holds a degree in political science from the University of New Brunswick and is currently pursuing her master's in of applied politics at Wilfrid Laurier University. So I'm going to without further ado uh, hand it over to Katie and we're going to talk about what having all of those jobs mean, what uh, leads you to creating a podcast how you do it and and kind of go along with the flow from there so hi hi thank you again so much for inviting me um I think yeah this is you know a silver lining out of an otherwise unfortunate situation is that we get to connect with folks from all over the place and you know like you said I think we've been following each other now for yeah, about a year or so. So it's really lovely to actually get the opportunity to have a kind of a conversation. I'm so excited. Um, I remember when I had first heard about your podcast, I had thought like, oh my God, that's a genius idea for a podcast. How has nobody thought about this yet? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, honestly, one of the things that I really realized early on when I was kind of doing a bit of the research before launching the podcast was one, that there was very little conversation about public policy generally, which meant there was even less conversation from that kind of intersectional and diverse lens, um, and even fewer women talking about those things. So, you know, it's honestly been a real privilege to build Femwonk over the last 
it's actually been about a year and a half now, which is crazy to me. So yeah, I mean, I'd love to start by actually just telling telling you and telling folks a bit more about that process and kind of how yes, I even came to please, make that decision. Please do. I'd love to yeah. hear all about it. It was about, I would say, not quite two years ago now, but, but thereabouts when um, I was working in the Premier's office in New Brunswick. I had been working in that job for about, you know, three or so years. Um, and I had a real opportunity to be working on some really interesting policy um, to be chatting with some really interesting stakeholders on a daily basis, um, but also to be really learning and understanding more um, some of the communities in the province that really were not doing well and that needed help. Um, you know, that gave me the opportunity to deliver on some really transformational policies. You know, that included free tuition in New Brunswick. Um, I always kind of make the joke, uh, Ontario was the first province to announce a free tuition program, but New Brunswick actually was the first to implement the program. <laughs> but also other things, you know, such as expanding uh, daycare assistance program, again, to include some more lower income folks, and actually becoming the first province in Canada to offer uh, Mifgai Miso, which is the abortion pill free of charge. And now, you know, a year and a half later, two years later, every single province in Canada offers that. So I was getting to work on these really transformational things. However, the media landscape and the public dialogue was really not catching up. Um, you know, people do talk sometimes with the Atlantic provinces as being a little bit more conservative, a little bit more um, perhaps behind the times, but that wasn't what I was seeing. That wasn't what the policy reality was. And we still just happened to have an entirely male press gallery, for example, covering uh, New Brunswick politics. We also had, you know, some competing dialogues going on around, you know, balancing the budget, which seems to be many people's favorite topic. Um, but that meant that nobody was talking about these, these types of policies. Nobody was really talking about these transformational things. And it drove me nuts. <laughs> so, you know, I honestly, I started asking myself what I could do to rectify that situation. I, again, I, you know, I had a background in political science. I had these connections and this opportunity in the premier's office. Um, and I also, you know, before that had a start in advocacy. So I, I kind of understood the landscape. I thought I could add some value. I tried to figure out what that might be. And, and that's really how I landed on Femlonk and creating a podcast initially. Um, and, and as you mentioned, just at the top, it's evolved to be honestly a lot bigger than I anticipated. Um, I've had some really amazing opportunities to work with a number of different folks to deliver, um, you know, training, to deliver workshops and things like that, some consulting work. Um, but I also am able to leverage some of my additional passions like reading and creating this amazing Femlong Book Club where we engage with books written by um, Canadian women um, about their stories and you know, it gives, it creates this really amazing community. So what I started as a, a bit of a side project to, to try to fill a gap um, has really become this amazing community. And I've got to connect with so many people and have got to make connections as well and amplify the voices of others through the podcast and through some other mediums. So if we, if we go back a little bit further, so you said you worked at the premier's office, was that your first job out of university? Um, so yes and no. I um, happened to also be, uh, before that, elected the president of the student union at UNB, um, and that actually is a full-time job. So I kind of was doing that in my sort of last year of university. I you know, ended up taking an extra year to do that role. And, and in that role, I also was on the board of the New Brunswick Student Alliance as the vice chair. So that was a primarily advocacy organization. So I had had that kind of experience, which actually led me to creating the connections to take the leap into the premier's office um, after those finished up. So like, that's your first job. Well, like not, not your first, like you were saying, like your, your first job <laughs> yeah. is being part of the student union at school. And then you're like, hey, I'm just going to go work for the premier office and you get to work on all of this awesome transformational policy. That's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when I was offered the job. So two funny things happened. First, I, you know, somebody reached out to me from the premier's office and, 
you know, wanted to have a chat, wanted to have coffee. And he was a, a youngish guy. And I actually thought he was asking me out on a date. <laughs> like, I thought it was a date. <laughs> and then he offered me a job in the pre office, which is hilarious. Um, and then when I left that very weird encounter, I actually remember going and just sitting on a bench and calling one of my closest friends and like crying happy tears. It honestly was, um, was a dream come true. Well, really. that's it. I mean, some people work their entire lives so that they can get to a premier's office. And here you are, like, right out of university, thinking that you're going on a date and getting a job offer, which, like, <laughs> in my opinion, is a lot better than a date. Way better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it becomes really hard to try and top that. Yeah. yeah. So I, am, I imagine that when that kind of when you're like okay it's time for the next step in my career that it it must be come with a huge moment of reflection to say like okay like I've reached the pinnacle of what I thought I was going to do and I it took me half as much time as I thought it was going to what now yeah I mean that's wow that's that's a it's a kind of tough question it's a tough thing to reflect on but but you're not wrong um I think one of the things that we do when we're young is um, inflate our sense of self-importance. And I definitely did that. Um, but, you know, what happened, yeah, it's so hard to explain. The, the experience was amazing and transformational and I'll be forever grateful for it. And I've made, you know, tremendous connections. I still, you know, my closest people are still my coworkers from, from that office, even though it's been, Kind of a year and a half since since we've all transitioned but what really was the hardest part actually was um you know we we went to an election in september of 2018 and the results were um this very weird kind of tie in a sense it was um you know the conservative party had one more seat than the liberal party and the liberal party um, and the liberal government was the government i was working with um, but then the two third parties, the Green Party and the People's Alliance, which is um, kind of an, an alt-right party, both had three seats. So no party had a majority. It was very similar to what, what um, we had seen in BC a few months or about a year beforehand, which first was first the biggest shock for us. Um, and then second, we had to actually go through the motions of uh, trying to gain confidence of the legislature um, which again, another very amazing kind of once in a lifetime experience, but the end result of that was that we lost. Um, and, you know, at, how old was I? I don't know, at 25, you know, working in a premier's office for three years, I had no backup plan. Um, my, my plan was to go back into that office for a couple of years, implement the platform that, you know, I had worked really hard with others to kind of write and and then see what was next i didn't expect on you know november 2nd to be figuring out what i was going to do with my life to be honest and so that really that was when the reflection came and it was yeah it was very difficult it was very difficult i had gotten similar phone calls from friends um after kathleen Wynne's government was defeated in the last election and they had said the same thing they were like you know, and I, and in a case like that in Ontario, like they, they didn't think like even in their wildest hopes that they would even get close, like not like a situation like yours at all. And even them, when it was all over, they were like, I wrapped up my entire life in this office. I work insane hours. I've given up relationships. I like, I don't date. <laughs> my friends are these people. Like this, this is my life because that's what politics is like when you work in that kind of entrenched environment. And they were like, I don't even know where to look now and, and what happens. And, and so I remember a couple of them calling me and saying like, Hey, like you're doing really cool stuff. How do you do it? And I'm like, well, first of all, I do it all for free. So don't mm -hmm. take my advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I chose the very easy route of going into education because I'm passionate about it, but also because I love the money that it brings. Yeah. And, and being like, I'm just going to do the rest of this stuff on the side. I've never like fully pursued my, my love of politics because to me that was like a, like, especially living in Northern Ontario, I was like, well, that's a no money maker and I like money. So that's, that's always been not an option for me, but for people who pursue this, they live by the ebb and flow of 
an election and other people's will, which I imagine can be really hard in trying to figure out what a game plan is and, and some sort of consistency. Totally. It, and, you know, again, for, for me, it was my first real, I guess, political or, or partisan, whatever you want to call it, experience. Um, I didn't know what the other side looked like, right? I knew what the premier's office looked like. Um, I didn't know what the opposition office looked like. I didn't know what figuring out if the leader was going to stay on or not looked like. I didn't know all of all of those kind of elements. You know, I don't think it really truly occurred to me how much the you know, I, I, the quote kind of power that I had was derived from my boss, who was the premier and the office, which is the premier's office. You know, I, I truly did think that my relationships with, um, you know, stakeholders and government officials um, were on kind of my merit. Uh, but in a small province like New Brunswick, you know, it's a small, small place like Northern Ontario, some of those things just you know, politics wins in a way. Um, I think, you know, I, so many tremendous connections, like I said, that I still, that I still keep, but it was really weird to figure out what, and not even what was next, but like what I wanted to do when I grew up, right? Like (laughs) it, it really was this moment, this tremendous moment in hindsight of kind of being pushed to take a jump and, what that resulted in was again like the creation of Femwalk. I created that. It, it officially launched in January of, of the following year, so about two months later. That is quick turnaround. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do something. <laughs> like I'm sorry. Like I need to pause and like reflect there. So like this this all happens in November, and then two months later, you're like, I'm just gonna start a podcast. Yeah, pretty much. So so like, what was what was the reception for that? Like, how did that work? Yeah, well, and actually a, a, a funny caveat to also put in there is um, to the, you know, the, the leader of the Liberal Party, the former premier at the time, Brian Gallant, also asked me in that whole period of time to stay on in the opposition office um, and take on the role of director of policy and uh, stakeholder relations in the opposition office while he continued uh, as leader. I believed deeply, deeply in, in Brian Gallant and, you know, I, I, I still do. I, I really believed in what he was doing and what he was doing for the province. So I said, you know what, sure, I'll, I'll stay in the opposition until like as long as you're a leader um, and, then, and then I'll head out. Well, his leadership did not last. Uh, <laughs> it was, I think, yeah, like around the Christmas holidays where he decided that he was going to step down. So Again, that put me in kind of a funny position, but you know, I was doing opposition stuff and then also on the side building Femlong. Um, I honestly really just, I was terrified to be honest. I was so nervous. I was gonna, you know, put my, honestly, my name, uh, my intelligence, my reputation kind of all, all out in front of everybody um, to either care about or not. <laughs> Um, and I was also going to ask a lot of people if they would join me. You know, I, I had a fairly lengthy list right from the beginning of people very similar to this that I wanted to talk to and I wanted to pick their brains on and I wanted to, you know, unpack a particular policy. And overwhelmingly, folks were tremendously supportive. Um, I honestly still to this day have not had a single person say no um, when asked to be interviewed. Um, I've, you know, had so many people connect with me because of Femwonk. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities because of Femwonk, which has been really interesting and kind of tests in a way like your own imposter syndrome. (laughs) Um, You know, for me, I'm kind of like, why? Because I have this podcast and because I have this platform, am I now more of an authority on this? It's like this weird kind of thing that I still don't really know how to, to reconcile. Um, I remember the first time that I ever wrote, because I mean, like, it's no secret, like, and and if it's, if this is like news to anybody that's listening, then like, I'll be the bearer of the news. Like, I love uh, peeling back the curtain as it may. Um, But all those wonderful biographies that you read about anybody when like, you're like me or your case, they're written by ourselves. (laughs) And I remember the first (laughs) 
in the third person where you're like, Amanda Kingsley Mallow is a, and I remember the first time that I wrote, Amanda Kingsley Mallow is an expert in women in politics in Northern Ontario and municipal politics. And for the first week, I like went back and erased it and then wrote it again and then went back and erased it and wrote it again. And finally I read it to my partner and I was like, how stupid does this sound? And he was like, what are you talking about? Like you've been living and breathing this for years now. Of yeah, course you're an the expert. Truth. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that's, it's not stupid. It's stupid that you're not owning it. It's stupid that you're embarrassed to even write it down. And sometimes when I hear my biography that I've written, my breath still kind of catches. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I, I did that. Oh yeah. That, man, that sounds really impressive when I'm just like, when I'm just hearing it and I'm not, writing it myself like that's cool <laughs> yeah. but it's it's totally imposter syndrome and I think that it's something that particularly women suffer from yeah because no, we're constantly absolutely. like oh little old me I know nothing what are you talking about and it's not it, it's not a, an accurate outlook on who we are actually as people totally yeah it's it's funny actually just this morning so um yeah I'm, I'm wrapping up my master's the only thing I have left is my lovely thesis which will be congratulations the that's thank you that's huge news thank you i don't know who ever invented theses but i don't like them don't um, tell me that i started <laughs> mine in september like, because yeah. i'm at the beginning and i'm like it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be the best thing and and everyone i talk to at the end of their masters is like oh this thesis is gonna kill me yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's not. So what's honest. what's your thesis on? Is it yeah. related to this? Or? Well, it is in a way. So yes and no. So um, I'm doing a policy analysis of the social assistance program in New Brunswick, and so I was I was chatting with my advisor this morning, and I was kind of talking through, you know, if I would have some sort of COVID nineteen lens on this, you know, document because it 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 now matters and a lot of the data I'm going to be using you know I'll kind of have to stop it at February for to do a kind of adequate analysis but um, I mentioned the I, I just kind of mentioned in passing that you know I was like oh yeah and you know Ontario and and BC they've now for social assistance recipients have said that they you know will claw back only a certain portion um, if they receive the emergency benefit but you know New Brunswick hasn't done that yet so and then I just kind of kept talking and then I was like well I should write an op-ed like I should just write something about this <laughs> like I'm literally becoming an expert on this topic <laughs> like I should just write do you something. do you do that kind of thing like do you just like write op-eds and you're just like hey look at me being an expert like um yeah to be honest um sometimes but a lot of the time it's this right it's me being like oh my god and can you believe this is happening and then being like oh wait well if I don't write about it, if I don't, you know, put this call to action out, who who is right? And and maybe others will, you know. In in the case of social assistance, there are so many amazing people doing great advocacy work on the file everywhere, including in New Brunswick. But in this moment, they're focused on crisis response, right? They're not necessarily focused on writing an op-ed about what BC and Ontario have done on the clawback and why they should do it, right? Like, I, I, I just find them so interesting because I find that, I mean, of course, there's not enough women that get involved in doing that kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if it's the same thing in New Brunswick, but I know that like here being in Northern Ontario, being that a lot of our local news um, is being cut, jobs are being mm -hmm. cut everywhere. Yeah. Um, so like when I release things from politics now, if I send out a press release, I can pretty much guarantee that as long as I put, a, put some effort into it, that it will go in published exactly as I wrote yeah. it. Yeah. And so I tell myself, if I only put more effort into writing op-eds, I bet you I could get published pretty easily. Yeah. And then I put on imposter syndrome and I'm like, who would want to hear from you? So <laughs> a perfect, perfect example of that. So I, the first op-ed I had published was in the New Brunswick provincial paper. Um, and it was about women in, in municipal politics in New Brunswick. Um, and you know the editor got back to me within a few hours and was like yep we're gonna publish this and they you know published it in full with no edits okay great the second op-ed i ever got published was in the toronto star um, about basic income 
and I was shaking, right? I'm like, oh my God, I made it perfect. I went on their website and looked at everything they needed. They like asked for your address. They asked for like your bio and why you're writing it. I did every, every little thing perfect, right? Because I wasn't gonna give them an excuse. <laughs> like I was gonna give everything they asked for. And within an hour, they replied back and were like, yep, we'll run this tomorrow. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, what? What do you mean? And they're like, yeah, it'll run online today and in print tomorrow. And I just like, I was blown away. I was shocked. But again, why? Right? It was well written. I had two different, like, well trusted people edit it for both, you know, content and grammar. I, I put a lot of work into it. So why, so why wouldn't it be published? Right. But yeah, it was that like, oh my God, I literally have a framed copy here in my house of my Toronto star. <laughs> you should, that's, that's awesome. I would also frame my copy of an open. I have the Toronto star. I get that for sure. <laughs> so, okay. So like, I mean, we've like gone through, like you went to school, you worked at the premier's office, you worked for the opposition for like a teeny tiny bit. You started Femwonk. And like, now what are you doing? Yeah, so I mean, I spent the last year and a bit doing a whole bunch of really interesting things. Um, one was being an Action Canada fellow. Um, so again, you know, honestly, one of the things when everything was transitioning, um, I also just decided it was kind of, you know, it was like the January to March phase where most programs and things are taking applicants, right? Um, so I just applied for literally everything. Um, I applied to be actually Canada fellow it had been something I wanted to do for a while. Um, I this, applied for it. I, I need to say like, it is literally my biggest dream to be a Canada Well, you should have applied. <laughs> you should have applied this year. I wish I, I would, um, but I don't work in a job that I can get the time off to go. Right. And yeah. Action Canada wants you to take, like, is it, oh, is it, three or four days every two months. Yeah, it's about, it was, it's I remember five looking and weeks. being like, yeah, oh, that's a sizable amount of time off I'd have to ask for. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a totally yeah. fair point. Okay, well, we'll put a pin yeah, in it, but it we'll is, come back it is definitely it. my biggest, <laughs> my bigger dream. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's definitely going to happen. So, it's, so, but tell me all about it. Yeah. So, so that was, uh, you know, one of the things that I had applied for, um, and the topic was actually on the future of work. And that was, again, something, you know, as my bio kind of jokes, somebody once called me the feminist money lady, and that's what I'm trying to make happen. Um, I care a lot about the intersection of economic and social policy. The future of work is bang in the center of that. And um, so that was one, one main reason. But really, the program is both a leadership and public policy development program. And the public policy piece, they really root that in um, local community experience. So that's, you know, why you have to take so many days off work in the year, because you travel to five different um, provinces in Canada. So we started in BC. Uh, we then had the tremendous opportunity to go to the Yukon. Um, we headed out east to Halifax, which was great to be closer to home. Um, hit up Quebec in the middle of a snowstorm because why wouldn't you? Um, and then we finished in Ottawa actually just as uh, as COVID was ramping up. So we had to kind of change the last few days of our programming. But you know, it's it's a tremendous program. You're with um, in, the, in in my case there were 15 other fellows. So you're with 15 other really amazing people from across the country with so many diverse um, experiences and backgrounds. And you just get so connected and in, in kind of this authenticity and this growth mindset with these folks. Um, you know, it's it, it, yeah, it's hard to put in words, to be honest. It's a, it was a transformational leadership development program, to be honest, for me, and personal development. We had the opportunity, uh, my group, to write a report um, that focused on government-assisted refugees and their integration into the workforce in Canada. Um, so we got to talk to so many amazing people while doing that work. Um, but yeah, that was the last kind of that happened over the last year. And it just actually wrapped up in March. Um, and I just started actually about five, five or six weeks ago now, um, a job at the Public Policy Forum in Ottawa. So that's what I'm going to be spending my time on as well. Um, and in addition to that, yeah, I'm just doing a whole bunch of other things that really kind of feed my soul. I have the opportunity to be um, on the youth working group on gender equality there we go for the government of canada <laughs> yeah 
yeah, that's what I'm spending my time on these days. So really re-grounding in Femlong, really, again, like leveraging the book club, to be honest, that's one of, it's become one of my favorite parts of, of this whole thing is just reading and reflecting on amazing books with a whole bunch of other amazing people. Um, and just, yeah, seeing how I can contribute, honestly, uh, in a meaningful way. Well, and I mean, that's really what it becomes about, right? And I find that, especially working within public policy, it's always like, it's hard to try and find your way when there are so many different avenues to look at. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it can be really easy, I think, to lose focus yeah. on what is actually important. And what's actually important is putting out good policies that are going to make people's lives better. Yeah. But it's about finding places to do that. And I can just imagine when you're looking into it, how overwhelming it must be. Cause I know that like me who has no background in this kind of thing, like every once in a while, I'm like, maybe this is the point where I transition out of teaching. Maybe this is the point where like I take advantage of an opportunity that's come my way and I just go for it. And then I look at even applying for these kinds of jobs and I'm like, Whoa, this was overwhelming too much. And I <laughs> close my laptop and I call it a day. So I can just imagine what it's like having to do it as often as you have to when you work in a partisan environment, never mind when you're trying to build your portfolio because that's really what it's about. Yeah, um, and, and you know, honestly, I think that's one of the biggest, um, I don't know, side benefits of Femlonk in a way is just, you know, getting really good at pitching yourself over and over again, um, getting good at building that bio, right? Because you need it for a website and you need it for this and you need it for this. Um, so that has been really great. Um, but it, that, you know, that comes also with being comfortable putting yourself out there. Um, and I think also what I learned is through those processes, you learn a lot about yourself because you are asked, you know, to write a, whatever, an essay on this or a, a one pager on this or whatever. And you figure out again, what matters and what bubbles to the top. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to your point, like for me, it's just, you know, public policy is my passion. There are a million different ways that I could go about, you know, executing that passion or, you know, acting on that passion. Um, and many of them make people's lives better, but it's just, again, what, like, how do you zoom in on that, right? You can't do everything. Um, and that, you know, that's hard, right? Like re realizing you can't do everything and you can't be, you know, crazy. Well, I guess you can be crazy passionate about everything, but um, it's really hard to meaningfully act when, yeah, when you're kind of going in a million directions, which honestly, sometimes I would like to go in a million directions. <laughs> I just kind of have like your hand all over the place and be like, mm. look at all of these passions that I have. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and I mean, in a case like yours, it also brings you away from home. Because yeah. you were just saying that you're going to be in Ottawa now, which I imagine mm -hmm. is going to be a really big change. Yeah, it is. So I've, um, you know, I, I moved to Ottawa in March. Um, my partner lives here. Uh, then I moved to Waterloo in September for my master's. And now, yeah, I moved back just about a month ago um, as the universities were closing. I didn't want to be, you know, quarantined in Waterloo by myself. So I just moved right back to Ottawa and, and here I am. But you know, to get back to the Maritimes, um, you know, I'm not going to fly. <laughs> Definitely not going to fly right now. Um, and I can't drive through Quebec right now either, right? So I have no idea when I'll get to kind of see my parents. Um, and I haven't been home since since the holidays, since Christmas. So um, that's tough because I honestly have spent my entire life until last year in the Maritimes. And um, it's home. It always will be. I still like people are like, oh, where are you from? And I'm like, or like, where are you coming from? And I'm like, oh, Fredericton. No, I'm not. I'm in Ottawa. <laughs> so yeah, that's an adjustment. But honestly, you know, that was another reason why I did kind of appreciate the transition that I had. Um, when you do accelerate it into the role that I had, it makes it very difficult to actually find the next role that is not you know, going backwards in a way, particularly in a small place like New Brunswick, because there aren't a ton of mid-senior level public policy, government relations, jobs kind of thing. Like they just don't really exist. So 
it didn't really leave a lot of room for opportunities. You know, there were, there were a couple interesting, um, particularly government relations jobs that I, you know, that were kind of put up, put um, offered, I guess, I don't know what you want to call it, put on my radar maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, yeah, it didn't really provide that opportunity for the growth that I really felt that I needed at this kind of moment in my life. So I look at my detour, I guess, to Ottawa as a detour. It's, you know, spending time learning, growing, making connections, building networks so that I can go home. And And it's funny because I think I'm the only person in the history of the world that feels like Ottawa is home, even though I'm not <laughs> yes, from there. Yes, no, nobody <laughs> ever says So I did my undergrad there and... Uh, I know, I know. I did my undergrad there. I moved, uh, would have been in 2005. I lived there for four years. And um, when I was a kid, I was like, I mean, I'm a French, Franco-Ontarian from Northern Ontario. So if you want to go to French school, you go to Laurentian, which is here. That sounds boring. Or you go to University of Ottawa. And I remember I was like 12 and skating on the canal for like a hockey tournament. And I looked at my mom and I said, I'm going to go to school here. I'm going to live here forever. I love it here. And literally like there was nothing that anybody could do to deter me. I, the second that I could, I moved to Ottawa. And when I tell people that, like how much I ache for Ottawa when I'm not there, people look at me like I've got 10 heads. Ottawa has the weirdest rap. Like nobody's from there. Nobody wants to stay there. And yet it's the like center of our, of our Canadian universe. And I always feel like when people are like, oh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm here, but I don't really want to stay here. I'm just like, oh my God, you don't know what I do to like stay in Ottawa. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because like Ottawa is odd because it's, it's like a big city that still feels like a small town. Like it doesn't feel, you know, Ottawa is bigger than my entire province. Right. And it does not feel that way. (laughs) So, you know, yeah, I like Ottawa. I love New Brunswick. I love home. So that's fair. And the vibe is not the same at all. No. Like, I mean, I can get away with it. The vibe between Sudbury and Ottawa. Like, I mean, Ottawa is probably just a much bigger Sudbury, which is why I like it so much. Um, But the vibe between New Brunswick and Ottawa, like Fredericton and Ottawa is not comparable. No. So like, I get how you can have that feeling of homesickness and be like, this is a stopover and I'm going to learn a lot of really wonderful things and then bring all of those really wonderful things back home with me and implement them. Yeah. It's a really lovely experience. Yeah, no, really I to think about it. Yeah, I'm I'm loving it. And again, I'm learning so much and I'm getting all of these amazing opportunities to learn and grow and build a network and build connections. So um I well, I mean, I guess right now I'm not I'm staying at home, but <laughs> aren't we all? Yeah. I've got like one more thing that I want to pick your brain yeah. about and then we'll like open it up. So I, we've, we've like gone through your whole history. We've talked a lot about um, like what you're doing and, and how inspiration is struck, but I, I want to kind of hone back it to a point where you were talking about when you, when you were applying for a whole bunch of different things. And, and so you talked about applying for Action Canada. Um, you talked about um, joining the uh, youth work group on gender equality for the government. How do you apply for those things and where do you find them? Because I think that that's something that's still a little bit unknown to, to others mm-hmm. who might be interested in, in finding these opportunities. Totally. So um, honestly, I anytime I see like an organization I like or think they're doing cool work or interested in, um, I, I typically follow them on Twitter. I'm really quite active on Twitter. I love it. Most people hate Twitter. I love it. Uh, and, but I mean, you know, Instagram, Facebook, also good opportunities. So I, you know, follow organizations that I think are interesting. Um, but I also join groups that are interesting. So, um, one group I'm part of, it's called, uh, millennial women in policy. Um, and they post a lot of opportunities in there. A lot of the opportunities, honestly, are just like at the time, I just was literally seeking them out. So they kind of, bubbled up in a weird way um you know even so at that same time as when I applied um to do my master's and you know I just was seeking I knew I wanted to do that particular program and their application just happened to still be open um but I will say also you know I found a tremendous value in networking um which I hate networking I'm actually a a self-identified introvert the idea of you know going to an event and walking up to a stranger makes my skin crawl Um, but 
I think again, like there's so many other networking opportunities like connecting with people on social media, um, you know, LinkedIn, whatever, all of those things. And then when you start doing these things and you start making these connections and you start applying for things and, you know, people start saying yes to you, um, you just start getting other opportunities. Like they kind of naturally, um, because people saw you speak somewhere or people see what you're doing on social media or whatever, those opportunities come up. And that's actually um, with the youth working group on gender equality. It wasn't actually application based. It was um, select, I don't know. Some, somehow somebody got my name and that was cool. But <laughs> so yeah, it really, again, it's one of those spin-off benefits of putting yourself out there as these other things kind of pop up. But again, like I said, if you like, I've found if you just follow organizations that you think are doing interesting work and even see who they follow and see, you know, who they're retweeting and things like that, um, you kind of can sort of find those opportunities as they come. I will say, yeah, the spring is typically when most people are kind of posting their applications. So that's when, that's when I typically start looking, I guess. <laughs> No, and that's great to know because I think that that's one of the things that really um, deters people from looking for those kinds of opportunities because they don't know when they are. And if they're looking in the summer and they're like, oh, snap, that application yeah. doesn't open until January. And then they forget about it, which is like the story of my life. Totally. And then in, in May, I'm like, oh, damn, that's right. I really wanted that thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I do the same thing. And so, yeah, I will just like follow the organization and I'm like, okay, hopefully when they're open again, I will see it and that will be great. <laughs> yeah, the other thing I will say too on this point is, you know, I, I'll often get uh, comments of like, oh my God, you're doing so many amazing things. Which I'm like, thank you, that's very nice. But again, all I did was apply, right? So many people don't even apply because they, again, don't think that they meet the criteria. They don't think they're qualified or, or whatever. But you know, I kind of, I often say when you don't apply, you're the one saying no to yourself rather than letting somebody else do it. And to be honest, I would rather let somebody else say no to me, <laughs> right? Like I don't want to be the one to stand in my own way. So, you know, yeah, applications take some time, but you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you don't get it. And honestly, that's better than not even trying in my view. And that I think is something that's like really important to to mention because I don't know about you, but I know like I I started doing that kind of thing where I applied for whatever it is that my heart fancied. And sometimes I've gotten them real long shots that I should have had no business even being in the running for and I end up getting it. And other times I don't. And I was like, oh man, I thought that one was a guarantee. But regardless, I applied for a ton of stuff. And I don't know that people even like when, when they're like, wow, you're doing all of this great stuff. I don't even know that people realize the amount of rejection that goes into success. Totally. Yeah, totally. I probably get rejected for like at least three or four out of five things that I apply for. Yeah. At oh, least. yeah. Yeah, for every acceptance or even, you know, again, for like even every, you know, conference or whatever, like. And, and that's the other thing with conferences too. People, I find, think that, you know, the conference fairy just like floated down and was like, you shall speak. But like most of that is pitching yourself, right? It's like, so hey, do you I like, do you shoot out emails to people and say like, hey, I see that you've got this conference going on and I think that I would make a great speaker for blah, blah, blah. Sometimes um, it's, yeah, it is a bit of a mix. Um, it, it, it depends. So like the, over the last year, I didn't do a lot of conference stuff because I was, you know, just honestly focused on doing my master's. Um, but I think in some cases, like particularly if I was going to be back in New Brunswick and something was happening, I would just be like, hey, yeah, I'm, you know, going to be in New Brunswick. Have you thought of this or whatever? I, I would do that from time to time. Um, but the other element too, that I've noticed and particularly even in this kind of COVID phase, I'll, I'm getting a fair amount of speaking requests, um, but they're not like for things that I would even think that I would speak about, which sounds kind of weird, but like I spoke last week to a group of uh, young women ages 13 to 18 about public speaking with confidence. And I'm like, what? Uh, do I public speak with confidence? Like, I don't, I don't, and so that was like kind of a weird thing. And I was like, all right, yeah, I guess I'll do this. This is, this is fine. But so that's the other piece. It was just saying yes to those opportunities because they, 
again, I, I found opportunity kind of begets opportunity. So, um, well, and then you get to put that in your back pocket, right? Yeah. And, and kind of, you've got that presentation now it's there, you can easily market it. So if this comes up again, you can pitch that, or you can say like, Oh, Hey, I I'm the girl I've done this before. Like it's a, it's really great to already have that leg work done. I feel like we have really dived into like the nitty gritty of what it means to like pitch for yourself and, and actually like go out and get opportunities and that it's not the fairy that that kind of brings down <laughs> yeah, <the laughs> those opportunities. Fairy. I'm going to use yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> I think you should like TM it, get it down. <laughs> um, I want to open it up to anybody who might have any questions for Katie, um, either about something that we've talked about tonight or about anything else that we've talked about. Hi, it's Alain, but I'm just kind of curious you know, at your young age and all the kind of the things that you're accomplishing, but you also have your eyes set on like that advancement, which is really actually quite inspirational to see. I appreciate that, you know, you're not just settling into some of the roles you've had. You're really, you know, keep pushing forward. But do you find, do you have a clear vision of where you want to be, let's say 10 years from now, like the classic question, um, 10 years from now or 20 years from now that you're striving towards, or do you worry, you know, that you, this is awful to say, like, I don't want to say peak early, but like, so like, oh, you're going to accomplish these things. And then it's like, like, what's next, you know, or yeah. So I'm just kind of curious about your long-term vision and how you frame that, or if you're very much always looking just at the next opportunity, like one at a time. Yeah. I mean, yeah, such a great question. Um, it's, I think, you know, the kind of 10 year plan um, was definitely something, you know, you heard a lot about in even, you know, like high school, like university, things like that. Um, but I honestly just don't think they're realistic anymore with the way that, you know, the world is changing so quickly. Um, you know, even just the projects I'm working on right now wouldn't have even existed five years ago. So to kind of paint a 10-year picture in my mind doesn't make sense per se for kind of what I hope to do. But fundamentally, what I hope to do is just continue to work on things that make life better for people. So you know, that's going to shift, right? Um, I talked about how I'm, I'm, you know, really passionate about the intersection of economic and social policy. Um, and, and, you know, that I, I wrote an op-ed about basic income in November, and now it's all anybody's talking about in a way, right? So um, I think, honestly, for me, my goals are twofold. One, always be learning. So whatever that looks like, whether it's, you know, reading, whether it's, you know, conferences, whether it is kind of, you know, the more traditional academic route, um, just always be learning because everything is changing so quickly. Um, but then the other thing is uh, actually, when was it? It was a few months ago now. I went to a conference and this woman said something that resonated so much with me. And it was, you should change jobs or you should start looking for your next job the second you hit the peak of your current job which is so counterintuitive. <laughs> like she essentially said, when you're in your stride, when you know how to do your job, when you're doing amazing, start looking for the next opportunity. And the reason she said that was because you're, you're kind of on your curve, right? When you get here, the only place to go is here. And so she kind of really framed it as you, you wanna start looking for what's next when you're at the top rather than when you're at the bottom. Um, and that really resonated with me. And, you know, that's kind of, what I, you know, well, I mean, I've been in this new role for five weeks. My boss also listens to my podcast, so I'm not going to, you know, tell him that I'm leaving anytime soon. But um, I don't necessarily think that I am going to be holding roles of the next little while for, you know, five or 10 years. I think I'm going to be holding them for two years or so and, and continuing to move on because that also supports, I think, the continuing to always be learning. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a real answer, but that's, yeah, that's kind of how I've, I've built out my philosophy. And yeah, I mean, I hope I don't peak early. <laughs> I think, I think that that's a really interesting way to put it because I, I know that like, especially particularly millennials, when they talk about what's next and what's going on next, it's hard to find tangible career advice because the careers that our parents had and the way that they dealt with careers and, and jobs is just not for us. It's not 
for millennials. It's not for Gen Z. It's not for Gen X either. And we've had to start finding a different path towards getting what we want out of our jobs and out of our careers. And I really like the philosophy that you're putting forth that like you, you start, you, you look for your new opportunity when you're at the top, which totally makes a lot of sense, but you're right. It feels very counterintuitive. I like that though. I'm definitely going to keep that in mind. Yeah. It, it, it was like my mind exploded when she said that because I was like, that's weird. And then I thought about it and was like, no, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like when you're at the top, that's when new opportunities are coming. That's when you have leverage to find new opportunities. That's when you can go in and you can ask for a promotion. That's when you can negotiate. That's when like, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, I feel like most of the people that I know wait until there's like a sense of ennui to start looking. And by then, like there's, there's a, like a certain desperation almost. Yeah, totally. That is, is more counterintuitive to finding employment than anything else. I I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're not really thinking about it until you're like, Oh, I really don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And then you're so desperate to get out that you're like, I'm not, it's hard to make sound choices and find something that I really want to do. And then I'm going to be passionate about because I'm so desperate to get out of this position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great question. Thanks. Lana. Yeah. You guys have great timing because it's like nine twenty nine yeah. with 30 seconds left until we hit nine thirty, <laughs> And so that means that our hour has expired. Wow. Um, that was super and I am so thankful that you came on Katie this was awesome I love talking to you I loved having the opportunity to learn from you it was great I can't wait to hear this on the podcast it'll be fun you don't often get the time and the space to reflect in such a meaningful way and so thank you for the questions they were fantastic and again like made me yeah have to kind of dig in a little bit to some of the behind Things that, I guess, yeah, things that haven't necessarily popped up in the last little while. So have you ever been interviewed for your own podcast or is this a first? (laughs) So I I was once um, actually by my partner. I basically forced him to interview me in like an Ask Me Anything episode. Um, It was, yeah, it was good. Oh my, my, part, my partner would hate that. Good for you. He, he did not like it. I don't think I'll be able to sing it twice. So, Well, then I was happy that I got to give you like yes. your, your another go around. Thanks so much for sticking with us. I want to thank our sponsor, Glass Sky. Glass Sky works to help the next generation of leaders make the most of their talents and contributions to society and the workplace in powerful ways. They work with progressive employers who want to embrace diversity and gain a deeper understanding of the changes they're facing as their leadership profiles rapidly shift to one of millennial and increasingly female. Visit their website, glassguy.org, to learn more. And if you liked this episode, share it. You can connect with us on social media at Femwalk, and I'll see you next time.